G'day everyone, welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Adam Asori Alexander Spinks. I am your guest host this week because Pat Cullen has a bit of adulting to do and Chris Bardo's got a young munchkin at home, so they have given me the keys to the boat shed and I am joined here by my very dear friend, Joseph. Look at the size of those cocks. Joe, how are you, mate? Hey, good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm in charge today. Yep. Me too. Well, I've never done something like this before, but so pretty nervous. Well, you're a long-time listener, first-time caller. You've, you've well, long time, I say, since last Ashes, you've been listening. Yes, so yes. You, you understand the format? I understand the format. In fact, I was included in one of the episodes earlier during that Ashes series. Oh, yes. Um, Tell us more. Well, for those other long-time listeners, um, there was mentioned once uh, during, I think it was the first Ashes test, was it the first one we were chasing down that unbeatable score of like 280 or something? And it was absolutely uh, ended up with uh, Camo and Lyon in the last th- last uh, dig there. And I think we started a chant at about three in the morning going, one more run, one more run, every think, single time we scored. <laughs> I think it has to be said that you were chanting one more run uh, with some volume, even though yeah. you were right near your bedroom where your lovely fiancé was sleeping and I yeah. was chanting quite quietly because I understand what happens when I wake up my wife at 3am and yeah. you hadn't learnt that lesson yet. Well, she she understands the importance of Might what was going on at that point. Not in that no. moment, but when I explained it to her the next day after I got some sleep. Oh, she was, yeah, great. Well, good on Nicole, <laughs> friend of the pod. Yeah. All right, Joe, so have you been watching the World Cup? Yeah, a lot. Actually, it's been quite good. Good to see Australia actually winning some games in the one-day series. Um, but uh, there's been a bit of controversy this week. There has. But just before we get to that, speaking of Australia winning some games, I said in my preview to the World Cup that I did not expect Australia to make the top four. Like, not even close, because I thought India, South Africa, New Zealand, Pakistan maybe, and hilariously, England may be making up the top four. And yeah. we lost our first two games, so I thought I was right there, and we haven't lost since. Yeah, it's uh, quite a surprise. I don't think you were alone in thinking that, um, especially after Australia's start to the series, but it's been quite the turnaround. Oh, just to say the least, from us and from England. Mm. I think Barty mentioned it last pod, but uh, Josh Butler said... That about the England team, that they need to play like they're not defending the World Cup. Yeah. And thankfully for everyone else, they've been playing that way. Yeah, I'm not sure what I like better, seeing Australia actually strive and achieve so much or seeing England <laughs> fall apart and crumble into second last place of the series. Oh, as that little girl in the wonderful old El Paso ad says, por qué no les dos? We can have both. But yes, controversy we had Angelo Matthews in the Sri Lanka-Bangladesh game be our very first cricketer dismissed out for taking too long to take their guard after a wicket has fallen. Shakib Al-Hassan appealed once Angelo Matthews' chin strap had broken. Umpires double-checked with Shakib, you sure you want to go through with this? As if that's not a thinly veiled threat. <laughs> and then he was given out. Yeah, bit of a joke, really. I mean, it was like... It was it was borderline to begin with, right? And then they um, still actually went ahead with the with the appeal. Do you know what I was thinking through all of that? Is Angelo Matthews? He had his 
a little press conference afterwards. He said he's never seen a team stoop so low, use incredibly strong language, brought yeah. in that the umpires need to bring in common sense as long, along with technology. And I don't disagree with him. But do you know who I didn't hear from, who I really wanted to hear from? Bairstow? Absolutely. <laughs> I want to know what Johnny Bairstow's opinion is. I thought that's is. who you were quoting just then, but no, it must have been a different incident. Yeah, no, Johnny Bairstow's thinking about the kids. Angelo Matthews just annoyed with common sense going <laughs> yeah. out the door. Might somebody think of the kids? Because unfortunately for Johnny Bairstow, he hasn't had, shall we say, the best World Cup thus far. Mm, no, certainly not. So I think he may be a little bit preoccupied. I think I may be wrong, but I think his highest score is maybe around 20-odd. I know he got 15 against uh, the Netherlands and David Milan and Ben Stokes combined for 200 runs total. So he may be a bit preoccupied, but put your Johnny Bairstow cap on, put your keeper's gloves on. What's Johnny Bairstow saying about the Angelo Matthews dismissal? Well, he he must be busy thinking about staying in his crease, surely. Well, Angelo Matthews tried to get into his crease, but the umpires (laughs) told him to leave. Is that in the spirit of cricket, Joe? Uh, No, I don't think it is. I think it was it was very close call. Like I understand the rules are there, but it was very close call. Like borderline whether it was actually even a two minute within the two minutes or not. And then didn't it come out that he was actually in place within the two minutes, and that that, the chin strap was outside of the two minutes? Was that the chin strap happened at one minute fifty five seconds? So they've got two minutes to come to the crease and and take their guard and be ready to play, right? Yeah. Exactly. Angelo Matthews was there. He did not take his guard. He was about to, but adjusted his chin strap, and his chin strap came off and was in his hand. And then normally the process is they let the umpires know that they've had an equipment malfunction and then they get the replacement run out. Angelo Matthews broke the chin strap at 155 without taking his guard and only signaled to his team that he needed a replacement piece of equipment. He did not tell the umpires. And so uh, after two and a half minutes, Shakib was prompted by an unnamed player that it's been over two minutes, we can get Angelo out here. And he appealed. Yeah, right. So I I didn't realise that was that was the detail of it all. That's not quite in the spirit of the game, in my humble opinion. Agreed. But the one thing that did come out of it is because Bangladesh and England were on the same number of points at that point in time, at the mm. bottom of the table. So anything that was going to help Bangladesh get those extra place up the ladder and keep England out of Champions Trophy qualification was a great move by me. Yeah, you know, I could agree with that. I could get behind that. (laughs) You've won me over. I was in the two for none chat immediately with people not enjoying it, da-da-da-da-da, and I just tried to throw that little cherry in there, and TK, uh, our wonderful British correspondent, was good-humoured but not happy. Yeah. All righty, Joe. So, we, uh, those who have not listened to the podcast before, thank you for joining us on about episode 90-odd. Uh, The way this uh, podcast runs is that we have correspondents for various cricket-playing nations around the world. They send in tapes to normally Pat and Chris. It's to me and Joe today. Mm. Me and Joe will have not heard these tapes. We do do not know what they say. We play them. We get some live reactions. We have some fun with it. So we have here Chris the Goodman Goodrick from South Africa. We've got Adam Hassan from Pakistan. We have TK, our British correspondent, and then we have a special guest who we will leave to the end. Ooh. Joe, I know special guest. Yeah, special. This is my this is one of my favorite. Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts of the whole podcast. And today we have a special guest. I feel pretty privileged. You should feel privileged. Mm. 
Thanks for being here, Joe. Thanks for being such a good sport. <laughs> That's uh, right. Who would you want to hear from first? Um, mate? Uh, let's let's go with Chris. I reckon. Let's see what he's got to say. Yeah, uh, South Africa had a not so wonderful day out um, against India during this week, but I it does need to be said that uh, Chris's email subject line to me was filled with some rather large amount of hubris from the man. It did not relate to the India South Africa game. <laughs> the subject line says. Aussies to pack bags early after semi-final exit. I feel like he wow. may be looking into the future, uh, maybe looking at those tea leaves a little bit, and he's seen a big old grim for Australia. Yeah, it's, um, it makes a good point. But, I mean, yeah, after a, not a particularly good game against India, which was meant, which is almost certainly going to be the, the grand final of the whole cup. One would assume. Assume, but still got to get through Australia before then. That he does. And mm. as Chris is wont to mention, South Africa, they don't have a good run of getting out of semifinals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I just think, uh, was at 99 that uh, World Cup. Someone dropped the World Cup, I think. I'm thinking of. Yeah, it comes to I mind. Might, I might have something in my throat. Don't want to mention here. any names, but. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not choking you or anything. But no. uh, anyway, here's uh, Chris <laughs> the Goodman Goodrick. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yes. That is the Proteus Cricket winning World Cup chant. Umlila Ushlala Isicha. And I certainly hope that we're going to be hearing more of that. So, guys, a uh, big game that we played against India. Jeez Louise, did we get smashed. We did not look good. And it all really started pretty badly. We bowled terribly. I watched the first 10 overs and... Uh, our batting, our batting really wasn't up to scratch. Um, our highest, our top scorer was uh, Marco Janssen. So that just shows you with 14. And um, yeah, India went on to win by 243 runs. Um, again, they're showing uh, that South Africa not too good batting second. Um, another game we've lost where we've batted second. So next game, guys, we play is Afghanistan. To be honest... I don't really care about that game. Um, I'm really just absolutely frothing for the big one. It's coming, Australia. We are playing Australia in the semifinals. This uh, game against Af Afghanistan is a little bit of a dead rubber. On that note, I suppose, with this big game uh, against Australia, I think it's important that uh, we reflect uh, these two countries go way back in terms of the history of cricket and World Cups. Uh, we have played each other seven times. It's pretty even. Australia three, South Africa three, with one draw. The very famous draw in 1999. Um, a game I still remember quite vividly. I still have uh, Tony Gregg's horrible Australian accent ringing through my ears, giving me post-traumatic stress. And I'm sure many South Africans do. That was the game where Donald didn't run. The uh, game Lance Klusner um, was about to send us into our first Cricket World Cup final. And the game ended up as a tie. And uh, Australia, I believe, went through on points difference. It was also the game where Herschel Gibbs dropped uh, a catch against um, when Mark Waugh was batting. And uh, he threw the ball up to celebrate and it uh, fell out of his fingers. 
and uh, Mark Wall's famous words were, you just dropped the World Cup. So it was a crazy game. And uh, I'm just going to stop you there, Chris. Is uh, you know he, he makes some very valid points. Uh, yeah. It's been quite even between South Africa and Australia in World Cups in history, but uh, mm. never when it counts. I just want to bring attention to one thing is I'm sure Steve Waugh is real mad that his words to Herschel Gibbs have been attributed to his twin brother Mark, where... <laughs> Oh, was it actually it was, Steve? Was it? it was Steve Waugh who was on strike. It was Steve Waugh that hit the ball. Um, You've just ca- dropped the World Cup. Captain Steve mm. uh, did his uh, mental disintegration sledging to Herschel and the rest of the South African team, and now his words have been attributed to his twin brother, who is much less witty. And well, regardless of who said it, it certainly worked on that day. Oh, sledge. I'm a big fan. Big fan yeah. of the quote. Big fan <laughs> of the quote. Uh, back to Chris. One that will forever cement the nickname the Proteas get as the chokers of cricket. But that's got to change. Uh, I believe we are looking in great touch. And um, on that note, I think it's important that we go back and have a listen to our famous Patrick Cullen on the humble pie issue. <laughs> yeah, I give you a rewind to episode 90. The World Cup preview, I present Patrick Cullen. So, I don't know. I'd be surprised to see the South Africans get through to the semi-finals. let me say that. I'd be surprised <laughs> if they make it, Chris. Mm. I don't think they're going to get that far. Mm. But let that be the cudgel that comes back and hits me. Yes, um, yes friend, let it be. <laughs> there you have it. The, uh, the case of the raspberry, strawberry, blackcurrant infused <laughs> with blackberry, humble pie. Sounds delicious. Is on the line. And wouldn't you like more to see our very own Patrick Cullen eating this delicious humble pie after the Proteas go on and knock the Australians out of the World Cup and reach their first World Cup final? I would really like that. And I think it's going to be a great game. So, guys, that's pretty much all I have for you. I don't really care too much about this up-and-coming game against Afghanistan. I think it's it's all about the, the semi-finals now. And um, it's going to be great, guys. It's going to be good. Well, see you later. Oh, thank you, Chris, the good man, Goodrick, for that tape. Uh, for those who were listening to the last podcast episode, he found several recipes for humble pie to mm. send towards Patrick and Chris, and I think he's settled on the dessert because I think yeah. he feels that this revenge dish is best served sweet. They all sounded delicious, that's for sure, those pies. I definitely looked up several recipes. <laughs> yeah. I just... Um I mean, it might be a humble pie, but does you really want to go through all that just to get stomped by India again? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think it might be that uh, the threshold thing is my uh, dear uh, rugby league team, the Parramatta Eels, uh, crossed the threshold last season of ma- finally making it to the grand final, and I was very excited just for that. And even before the game, I said, you know, I'm just happy that we're here. So mm. I think Chris might feel the same. And then hopefully he feels exactly the same way afterwards when they lose horribly 
and then don't make it to the next World Cup final, that he'll he'll just enjoy the experience whilst he had it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'd hate to bring it back to rugby league again, but I would say the same thing about the Rabbitohs and round 11 this season. Um, yes, but you've I was at least just happy won we were on top of the ladder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true, true. I was just happy we were on top of the ladder uh, at least once this season. If- yeah, and I also think uh, Chris may or may not have been listening to the well, the first couple of pods for this World Cup because our Pakistan correspondent, Adam Hassan, started that tape with uh, – he had a few receipts for uh, things that our little old TK Hawkey had mentioned about the Pakistan cricket team and he also played back Tom's words against him to maybe make him feel bad and laugh at his expense. So yeah. I hope Adam's enjoying where England is now and I'm glad Chris so- is enjoying the sport of what is an ostensibly an Australian podcast with – correspondents from around the world he is sticking it to the australians just a little bit of nice sledging before we have our match against them next weekend yeah there seems to be a bit of a common theme going on i've noticed this series of podcasts there's a oh. bit of playing back and remembering and recordings of certain things that certain people have said i've noticed yeah seems we're all really good friends and yeah none of seems us are bitter to... about anything that ever happens no oh, exactly there's no beef or anything it seems it's all very above board straight along the line Good line of length banter. It's definitely within the spirit of podcasts, to say the <laughs> exactly. least. Exactly. Yeah, which we should ask Besto about that. I'm sure he has at least one or two opinions. Yeah, yeah. Which would oh. be wrong. Oh, righty, mate. Who have we got next up? We've got Adam Hassan from Pakistan. We've got TK or our mystery guest, who you are not able to choose at this point. So, Adam or TK, who would you yeah, like to Yeah, as from? much as I'd like to go with the mystery guest, I think we'll, we'll go with uh, Adam. Fabulous. All right, here is our Pakistan correspondent, Adam Hassan. Pakistan just played one match this week against New Zealand. Pretty insane game this was. New Zealand scored 401 and Pakistan won. So how do we manage to chase down 401? Well, we didn't. But in the boxing <laughs> style decision, the umpires decided that Fakhar Zaman was doing too much damage to New Zealand. So they called the game off for the safety of the New Zealand players. <laughs> and they may have played a small part as well. Abdullah Shafiq was out in the second over, leaving Pakistan 6 for 1. Not the ideal start when you're chasing 400. But from then on it was all Pakistan, and in particular Fakhar Zaman, who scored Pakistan's fastest ever 100 in a World Cup, of just 63 balls. After 21 overs of the chase the rain came, and at this point we were 160 for 1, 10 runs ahead of the DLS pass score. Soon the players came back on, with a new target of 342 from 41 overs. So 182 more needed in 20 overs with 9 wickets in hand. Essentially a T20 chase. In the next 4 overs we scored another 40 runs. Which is insane, because rain breaks usually help the bowling side, since the batters need time to get their eye in again and adapt to the changed conditions. Not these two. After that 4 over burst the rain came again. 201 after 25 overs, now 21 runs ahead of DLS. And this time the rain didn't stop, so Pakistan won by 21 runs. Fakhar Zaman ended on 126 not out from 81 balls, including 11 sixes. That's his fourth hundred against New Zealand this year. Incredible stuff. Now there are some people who might say that while we were on track for 400, we never could have sustained that rate for a full 50 overs. And look, I agree that this was definitely not a satisfactory way for this game to end. But I really do think we had a good chance of chasing 400 down. Because one of the unique things about Fakhar Zaman is that unlike a lot of players who you see get to 100 and then get out soon after, once he's in, he really goes big. 
which you wouldn't necessarily expect from someone with his game style. But of Pakistan's four highest individual scores in ODIs, Fakhar Zaman has three of them. 210 out against Zimbabwe, 193 against South Africa two years ago, in what was arguably the greatest ODI innings of all time, and 180 not out against New Zealand earlier this year. And the way he was going here, he looked nailed on for another huge score. With Baba set at the other end on 66, and with nine wickets still in hand, we'd built ourselves the perfect platform to go on and chase this total. So our final game is against England, who will be looking for back-to-back upsets, after pulling off an unlikely win against a team that was above them in the table, in the Netherlands. Although having said that, I guess every team was above them in the table at that point. <laughs> Unfortunately though, New Zealand's huge win against Sri Lanka today means that Pakistan are all but out of the tournament, as history repeats itself. In the last World Cup in 2019, New Zealand were fourth in the table, and Pakistan theoretically needed to beat Bangladesh by around 300 runs to take their spot. This time New Zealand are fourth again, and now Pakistan would need to beat England by around 285 runs to replace them in the semis. But unlike the last World Cup, where Pakistan were very unlucky to miss out, with a few things not going our way, this time we just haven't played well enough and didn't really deserve to be there. But more on that another time. For now, let's just hope that after all my chat about England, we don't go and lose to them on Saturday, which would be a very Pakistan thing to do. That's great. Thank you so much, Adam Hassan, for that there. He makes a lot of good points, Adam. It's mm. one thing, his insights, him and Jai Singh in particular, uh, our two correspondents with definitely the best eye for detail that we have at Two for None. But like you said, that win was wild. For England to post a score of 401, only six down, use the full complement of 50 overs, and for Pakistan to win in 25 overs with half that amount of runs, that seems like the most pure Duckworth-Lewis system I've ever seen. Is odd. You got half the amount of time, half the amount of runs, Pakistan. Yeah, it's one of the few times where the, the Duckworth-Lewis system actually seems to make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a similar time. They've only lost one wicket. Uh, New Zealand's openers, Ratchan Ravendra again, after what he uh, did to try and drag New Zealand out of a hole against Australia. He posted, helped post a massive score for New Zealand. His 108 off 94. And Kane Williamson's return from injury, Captain's knock, 95 off 79. Like, they posted a monster total. And yeah. Pakistan only had to score half of it, and they won. Yeah. It's quite a quite a feat, I think. It was um, pretty outstanding. Mm. And also the swap of Rashan Ravindra, young. I think he's only about 23, 24 years of age. Early days in his, what will hopefully be, a glittering career for uh, New Zealand was uh, riposted by... Pakistan's seasoned opener batsman, Fakhar Zaman, who, like Adam said, 126 off 81, he just motored along. He knew his job because of the rain delay and he smashed it. Yeah, it was unreal, unreal to watch. It was just an amazing innings, really. And also, as he's made special mention of that, New Zealand, uh, not New Zealand, England has caused a f- an upset recently by beating a team above them on the table, which is every team in uh, the Netherlands. Hopefully, that does not, for my money at least, hopefully that does not happen against Pakistan because if Pakistan wins by over 200, as Adam said, they could knock New Zealand out of fourth spot and face India in the first semi-final next weekend, which if you remember the T20 World Cup game that was here in Sydney between India and Pakistan, sells out massive crowd, two very parochial 
sets of supporters, that mm. would be fantastic. Yeah, the conspiracy theorist in me says that the uh, I, the ICC's scripting department is written that in exactly to come into fruition. <laughs> conspiracy theorists. Have you and David Warner been having a chat just about Yeah, how, yeah, we go way back. How yeah. the IBCCI tends to run international cricket. Yeah, that and the uh, Earth's flat, you know, the usual conspiracies. Oh, yeah. just, just standard Joe Rogan kind of material. Yeah, that's right. Alrighty, mate, we've only got two people left. The choice has been taken out of your hands. It will be TK, our Looking English correspondent. Hopefully he's feeling a little bit better since mm. um, Ben Stokes got England out of jail against the Netherlands uh, during the week. So we might hear a little bit of sing-song from him, maybe. Who knows? Anyway, we'll see. here's TK. Hi there. Tom K. Hawkey here with your bulletin from a Brit. Look, there's not much to say about this week's games. England lost to Australia. No surprises there. We bowled well enough, but we fell short with the bat once again. I'm just going to leave the dissection to you boys. England then beat the Netherlands, a routine win that papered over the cracks of our frail batting lineup. One thing to note is Joe Root's wicket, an attempted ramp shot that led to the ball passing between his legs and into the stumps. Has ever a wicket more aptly summed up a team's recent performance? Just a second there, TK. He, <laughs> he brought it up, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, Joe Root's wicket. Yeah. Is the attempted paddle? Is that that one? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like he's playing baseball all over again in its mm. in the form that it was built for. And he faced up. He took one step to his left, fronted up to the ball, tried to paddle the ball over his head, completely missed. And I have not seen a more pure nutmeg than Lionel Messi charging through, <laughs> trying to win the Champions League for Barcelona. Like, that was so pure. He's lucky it didn't hit him in the box. It's the, it was the kind of thing that we all, all of us Australians wished happened on the very first ball of day two. And I think that was at the second Ashes test where he did that. He came out and went, I'm just going to paddle the first ball that comes to me today. It worked there, unfortunately. It worked there, unfortunately. But God, it would have been good if it was this result instead. Absolutely. And it was Van Bake as well who had a bit of a, he, get, he had a bad run at, towards the end of the match where I think it was the last over that was bowled in the game to Ben Stokes and I think that over yeah. went wide wide one four six wide four etc etc so luckily for him he started the game really really well yeah and just that last over struggled to keep the ball on the pitch just yeah. getting away from him a bit yeah it was one of those things looking at it that every now and then you get the feeling see I could bowl better than that and then you realize the physical condition <laughs> you're in and you go absolutely not Van Bake, you do you mate yeah no I Played a, a game of uh, slow pitch softball on Tuesday for the first time in about fifteen years, and oh, American cricket. Being, yeah, American cricket. And now that Friday, I'm still hurting from it. So I'd like to think I could bowl like that still, but definitely not. Just put us in T20s. I'll, I'll do four overs, and that's it. Yeah, I'll do. I'll, I'll wicket keep. I think. <laughs> Fabulous. All right, back to TK. But those games are history now, thanks to New Zealand thumping Sri Lanka. England are all but guaranteed to clinch a Champions Trophy spot. However, I wanted the boys to head out there on Saturday, ready to battle on and not just play out a dull dead rubber. So I've prepared a motivational speech to be played in the dressing room before the toss. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, <laughs> once more. A final chance to show the world who we are. For we are England. A nation of shopkeepers the Limeys, the Poms, we 
are England. We're the Cockneys, the Scousers, the Geordies, the Manx. We are England. The land of Shakespeare, of Churchill, of Darwin, of Ed Sheeran. We are England. This match is for seventh place. Seventh place, lads. Don't let anyone tell you seventh isn't good enough. If you're offered a slice of the seventh best cake in the world, are you going to turn it down? Tosh, men, you'd say slice me that gatto. Or if the seventh most beautiful woman in the world flirted with you, are you going to turn her down? Hoping that the sixth most beautiful might notice you? No, men, you would not. Sure, we may have lost to New Zealand. And to Afghanistan. And to South Africa, and to Sri Lanka, and to India, and to Australia. But will we back down now, lads? Will we? Well, did we back down at Dunkirk, or at Hastings, or at Baraclava? No, sirs! We fought with fire in our bellies and a song in our hearts. And we lost each and every one of those battles, but we did it whilst being spectacularly English. And so too must you do battle with Pakistan at Eden Gardens. Do it for England. Do it for fish and chips, jellied eels and spotted dick. Do it for Yorkshire puddings and Cornish pasties. That's our cuisine, lads. It's what our mams fed us, and it never did us any harm. Do it for David Beckham, and for Princess Di, and for Boris Johnson, and for Jack the Ripper. This game of cricket is our game. We bloody well invented it. They may as well call it England ball. Let's get out there, lads, and show them how it should be played. Slowly, and with one eye ever on the lunch break. So pull on those blue jerseys. Take your bats in your hands. Uh, Not you, Johnny Bairstow. You might as well not play with one. Step out into the middle and cry, God for Butler, England! And St. George! Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That almost make almost makes me want to go out and put on my own baggy blue and join them in India. Yeah, I almost feel bad for them. Like, it's almost. So, just so close to actually feeling bad for them. So, for so very almost. close. I'm, I'm glad he did mentioned that they did lose those battles because I'm pretty sure England quite famously backed down at Dunkirk. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a movie about it and everything. Yep. Great. Thanks for your input there. Uh, (laughs) So uh, there is the most unlikely of situations that England can still come 10th. And that, (laughs) to my mind, requires Pakistan to absolutely flog England. Like England goes out there all out for 10 and then Pakistan posts about 450 runs. The Netherlands lose by less than 10 runs to India, which is also incredibly unlikely. And Australia to wallop Bangladesh by about 250 runs. And wouldn't that that scenario win for Pakistan put them into fourth position as well? Yes, Mm. absolutely. Mm. So... I'm sorry to our resident Kiwi, Michael the Stick Wood, but I really, really, really want Pakistan to absolutely <laughs> flog England by over 400 it's runs. Less, it's less about New Zealand not making the four and more about England 
making 10. <laughs> yeah, like New Zealand morally won the last World Cup. So, yeah, you know, exactly. They've had they've had theirs. They've had had their day in the sun. I think it's time yeah. for for Pakistan to be able to step up and do do the rest of the world a solid and absolutely flog England for us. <laughs> yeah. Just so I can hear another epic monologue from TK. That would I, be awesome. I think by that stage it would be more depression because as he so validly mentioned, you might as well call it England ball. But that's never yeah. stopped the English from losing before. Yeah, they always find a way. Not all, oh, they found a way to win four years ago, but the less said about that, the better. Oh, I'm thinking more about the Ashes series. Again, they found a way to draw that, and it was really, really upsetting. No, like, but they didn't win. They didn't win the Ashes. Well, they back. haven't the won an Ashes <laughs> series since 2011. No, 2013. The in, the series in England before the demolition in Australia. Yeah. Ah, well. Okay, so uh, we are soon to be wrapping up, folks. A bit of a shorter podcast today. I did want to, before we jump into our mystery guest, jump into Mm. that Australia-England game. I thought Hawkey was going to be a bit more hat in the hand uh, coming in for the tape today. But that was a decent game. It wasn't... That was, yeah, it was a great game. It wasn't the low-scoring thriller that uh, Bardo was, but it it was getting close, you know... uh, only Manus managed to score a 50 for Australia. There was, you know, a couple of 40s, a couple of 30s. Josh Inglis made three. Yeah, no really outstanding performances with the bat, really. No, I'd give credit to Adam Zampa, who walks out there at a number 10 and manages to smack 29 off 19. And he is about four foot three. Yeah, that did make a big difference. And he was facing up against Mark Wood and Chris Wokes, one of the fastest and one of the canniest bowlers going around. Yeah, but fortunately, Mark Wood hasn't had the greatest series in this World Cup no, to, uh, to Zampa's favour. He's always carrying an injury, blah, blah, blah. But he yeah. fought, he bowled his full complement of 10, but he, he went for 70. He was going for seven runs and over in that one. And yeah. Adam Zampa also managed to snag a couple of wickets for himself, the big man Ben Stokes and the captain Joss Butler. So Yeah, and I think is he, Sam's still quite at the top of that table for most wickets this series too, I think. I think After he is. That performance. He, he's not far in front. Yeah, yeah, not but, far in front, but he's up there. Yeah, and also has to be mentioned. Uh, I jo- would Johnny Best. I would be looking up those. Sorry, go on. Yeah, how dare you interrupt me when I am guest hosting this podcast? <laughs> yeah, you should just submit a, just to my authority. In. Yeah, just to fly, fly in. But Johnny Besto did make a golden duck in that game, which was just perfect for me. Yeah, yeah, that was good watching him walk off the field. Yeah, and it was also. You know, Mitchell Stark is uh, normally given the leeway to bowl a couple of looseners when he starts. And this was this was a loosener. It was oh, yeah. left arm over the wicket to a right-hander, going down, down leg. A long way down the leg. A long way down the leg. Johnny Besto chased it, tickled it through, Josh Inglis caught it. Half of an appeal. Umpire went, yeah, no, mate, you're out. Yeah, it was um, great to see. It's always great to see. Mm. All right, so... Last but not least, before we get into the game mm. between Afghanistan and Australia, I, our special guest, I'm sure, has something to say about that. Here we have our regular host and creator of Two for None. We are blessed to receive a first-time tape from Patrick Cullen. Gents, fellas, team, holy freaking moly. Holy freaking moly, what a game. What a game. Turns out that Glenn Maxwell, um, the second most maligned cricketer in Australian history after Mitchell Marsh, went on 
the biggest redemption arc we've ever seen. More than a redemption, it's like Maxie's gone from a cricketer who we all knew was a great cricketer who could do the occasional moment of sheer brilliance and unorthodoxy to playing the greatest one-day international innings of all time. And and you know me, boys, I'm, I'm full of hyperbole and nonsense, but it's not just me that's saying that. It's Ricky Ponting. It's, you know, a whole series of great cricketers and commentators um, probably including yourselves, given where this, this tape most likely sits in the pod. Oh, thanks for calling us commentators, Pat. I will, I will definitely take that. You, Joe, yeah. you and I, often when we're watching sports, say oh, something that the commentators will then repeat within a 20 or 30 seconds, and we will yeah. often say we should be commentators. And it's, and it's most sports, not just cricket. No, it's, it's most sports we watch. Whatever KO, there's that name again, is willing to show for us, we will watch it and we will commentate. Yeah. And be five steps ahead of the live commentators. We're just so clever, Joe. Anyway, so clever. Back to Pat. If only, if only my podcast could be as good as my commentating. Oh, we'll we'll find out. We'll read the <laughs> we'll read the reviews once this comes out yeah, on Monday. Yeah. All right, back to Pat. And I know you've probably mentioned it to this point, but let's just take a quick moment to just re look at this. You know, Australia, we're in absolute Barney rubble at seven for ninety one. Chasing 291. <laughs> like, like uh, that's, that's, that's where we need a miracle hero. You know, we need a miracle territory. We needed a hero. Um, and Glenn Maxwell became that hero. And look, like, did, did Afghanistan drop him twice? Yes. Was at least one of those an absolute dolly? Yes. Was Maxwell's face... After that catch goes down, a piece of priceless brilliance. Um, also, yes, but fellas, I mean, 201 red, 201 red off 128 deliveries coming in at six. <laughs> what are we talking about? You know, I woke up the next day. I'm here in the small island nation of New Zealand. I woke up the next day and I um, I saw some chat about it on, on a couple of my messenger apps. I was like, oh, what's going on there? And I saw a, a picture of Glenn Maxwell holding his bat in the air. And then I watched the highlights and it, it's just some of the most unbelievable hitting you've ever seen. You know, by the time he's at 150, 147, he gets cramps that are going up his toe into his shin and in both hamstrings. And it gets so bad that he literally collapses on the ground. And after he collapses on the ground, he gets a back spasm. And the, like, you can see him convulsing in pain on the ground. Yeah, hold up there, Pat. It has to be one of the greatest sets of cramps I've seen on the field since uh, people who aren't familiar with this clip should definitely go and look it up on YouTube is Mark Richardson is a Kiwi batter playing in a test match, I think in the late 90s, and gets bowled, you know, ball on a length, swings around to smack it to the leg side, and then you just hear this otherworldly scream on the stump mic as he... His leg goes dead straight. He clutches his thigh and just collapses to the ground. And I'll, I'll try my. I've been working on my impressions uh, for this pod, and this is what I think from memory the scream sounds like. Ah! It's just one of the <laughs> funniest things you will ever see. Maxie's was more uh, pantomime, 
where he <laughs> hobbled through for a single, collapses on the ground, uh, grabs his leg. He goes dead straight, like as stiff as a board. He kind of yeah. pops his head up off the ground to look at his leg, see which one's causing him the most pain, lies back down dead straight again, rolls over. He himself said that he was getting cramp in one toe as he was hobbling through for the single, stops moving, cramp all in his calf on the other leg. So he's lying down, staring at both his feet, going, which one of you is going to quit mucking around and help me here? And then because he hit the deck too hard, he got a back spasm. Yeah, stiff as a board sums it up pretty well. <laughs> it was, it was like, which is, I'm sure how we all, we all, all Australian men felt after watching that innings. Yeah, I mean, it, I think they were saying during the day in the field it was 35 degrees Celsius and 80 percent humidity. Like it was, wouldn't have been easy to be out there. No, not at all. All right, Pat's going to dissect this for a further two minutes. So let's go back to Pat. And from there, the physio came out and told him. He said. If you stop now, you will not be able to start again. Like, you're going to be cooked. It's better if you just stand up and try not to run. And so Max, he takes to hitting the first three balls of the over, um, over the fence or to the fence, and then hitting a ball into a gap and, like, running, trotting, you know, stumbling the world's slowest one so Cummins can face the last couple of deliveries. Um, And the hitting was just incredible, boys. Incredible. Like... Not moving his feet at all, unable to move from the waist down and just swinging at these balls and still managing to hit completely 360. Like the reverse lap ramps for six, the um, just whip off the sort of pads, except he wasn't moving his feet at all and had sent over mid wicket. He was hitting straight, he was hitting through cover. Like, and it was ugly boys you know like it was the most ungraceful you know farmer like um innings but it, the there's just no words the amount of admiration you have to have some for somebody who was in clearly so much pain who single-handedly decided that Australia weren't going to lose to Afghanistan he single-handedly saved my blushes and Barty's blushes um and the blushes of a whole country It also has to be said that Afghanistan played us off the park. Like, they played us off the park, fellas. We should have been gone. We should have been red-faced and full of humble pie. And yet, somehow, due to one guy deciding to push through an immense amount of pain, um, we're locked in for the semifinals. And all I can say to England is, how do you like them apples? All right, boys, that's enough from me. Enjoy. I'm not even mentioning the Australia-England game. Who cares? Who cares? What even happened? It doesn't matter. They're out. They're 10th. Catch you later, England. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. All right, boys, enjoy. Thanks for covering me while I'm away. I'll be back in the host chair next week. Don't get too comfy. Cheers, boys. Bye. Well, well, that will remain to be seen. I think he might Mm. have more adulting to do. And I might have to keep this seat warm for another week. What do you think? Yeah, well, you might have to. And, well, remains to be seen as who you may... uh co-host with you considering my phone just went off on the um, <laughs> podcast which is really shows how professional i am um you're a yeah, you're I, a theater worker you you work in theaters and you didn't remember to put your phone on silent before you came in yeah i work in the lighting department it doesn't really make count <laughs> yeah no you spoke very well there uh very well said what a freak of a of a score of a knock of a innings like by all rights should have been out and out, totally bowled out by the Afghanistan team who played amazingly well. 
But I, I think he might have just stumbled over the admiration for Paddy Cummins in that innings too. Oh, yeah. Every, everyone He played be a huge part in that. Oh, of course. He, I mean, I just brought up his Twitter account. I don't know if you saw what he tweeted about after that. He says, a lot of credit should go to Maxi. He played his role beautifully. <laughs> and I think that sums up, <laughs> sums up that, um, that partnership very well. Oh, so very gracious from... Uh, the, the man who played the second best uh, ODI innings of all time by yeah. uh, sitting around and watching the Glenn Maxwell show from the best seat in the house for 68 balls for 12 runs because yeah, he, exactly. his partner couldn't run the ones or twos that they he was creating and he definitely wasn't yeah. going to try and hit him over the fence because we would only have two wickets left after that. Yeah, but it was just insane to watch. We do need to spare a thought for uh, Majib, the Afghanistan bowler, who dropped Maxi with the easiest of catches at short leg that you will ever see, just dropped it stone cold, and then unfortunately happened to be the bowler who was bowling that final over to Maxi, where, as Paddy said, he wasn't even moving his feet. Like, he could not. The most his feet, and that over went dot six six four six. Yeah, they were just bolted to the ground at that point. The most feet. he moved his feet was for the final ball where he took half a step to square with his back leg just so he could get a bit more leverage to guarantee that the ball would go over the fence, mm. that Australia would win, and he'd be able to get his double century off one shot. Because if he hit a four, Australia could have won and Maxi would have been on 199. And the one person yeah. who wanted that less than everyone else was Glenn Maxwell. Yeah. Yeah, Ricky Ponting called it in the commentary <laughs> right when he got that the four beforehand uh, that put him on 195 and with only five runs remaining to win, Ricky said, you know what he's going to do now? You know what he's going to do now? <laughs> Once again, the, the prophecy of Ricky Ponting's commentary <laughs> comes to and, life. And, you know, it probably doesn't need to be said, but I was saying it just moments before Ricky Ponting was saying it too. Yeah, well... Maxi Obviously. definitely wasn't going to run, so no, that's that's for sure. No, I was. Uh, I didn't get to watch it live. I actually had one of those moments where I woke up the next morning, rolled over after my alarm went off, you know, rubbing my eyes, wondering what time it was, and uh, went, "Oh, the cricket was on last night. I better see what the score was." And then laying in bed, still rubbing my eyes, not believing what I was looking at, like it was. It just didn't make any sense Absolutely. at that time in the morning. I was incoherent. I couldn't quite fathom. I mean, what, what does it mean we won that game? How? Huh? How did Maxwell get 201 off? What? 120? What? Is this? Hang on. Am I still dreaming? What's going on here? It's insane. Like, I went to bed when Mitchell Stark got out because it, he, he was, the, uh, to my mind, the last chance of, you know, at least saving some blushes. I think that was uh, 7 for 91 or 91 for 7 for our Overseas listeners, both of them. Um, <laughs> like, Maxi also ran Manus out in that innings as well. Like, our our scorecard is dire reading. 18 for yeah. Warner, Duck for Travis Head, Mitchell Marsh got a quick 24 and out LBW. Manus was run out on 14 from 28. I think maybe Maxwell just thought he was slowing down the innings a bit too much. Uh, Josh Inglis with a golden duck. Marcus Stoinis got six from seven. Mitchell Stark, three from seven. Like, that is dire reading. And then you got Paddy on 12 for 68, which, as Paddy himself is aware, 
gravely undersells how important he was to allow Glenn Maxwell to get 201. Yeah, just insane effort and just something you may never see again. And you just wish we saw it live. I wish I was awake at 4am Sydney yeah. time. It's the, the one time it's, it would have been worth it. It's un-Australian of us not to be, let's be honest. It's, it's a disgrace. I think we need to go neck a couple of tinnies of 4X gold and, yeah. I don't know, Stupid. place them two up in a car park to pay penance. Yeah. I mean, I think we, had, we made a pretty good effort, the two of us, with most of the Ashes series staying up late, but through a, a whole one-day series as well is a, a big ask. It is. We get one a year. But would have been worth it. Would have been worth it. This one would have been worth it. Oh, yeah. Alrighty, I think that brings us to a close, uh, everyone. Thank you, Joe, for jumping on to record this podcast with me. We may get you back because uh, one Patrick Cullen is getting married at the start of the new year, and I'm not sure if the listeners uh, have been told this before, but the man who lives in Sydney is getting married during the Sydney test, but on the other side of the country, a five-hour flight away, so... Any one of Ooh. us who normally would like to go to watch some test cricket, like I do with my dad and my father-in-law every year, and yourself can come and some friends, will be unable to this year because Patrick, the cricket man, is getting married during uh, the cricket test. Well, I'll, I'll still go to the test. All right, you, I'm not invited to the wedding, so I'll still go. That's fair. I don't know. If you <laughs> if Pat thinks you've done a great job today, you might get yourself a little sneak. I might right just get end. an invite. <laughs> Somehow I think I won't make the cut, but that's okay. It's all right. You don't invite him to your wedding three weeks later and you'll be Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah, fabulous. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Joe. Really appreciate it, mate. And no worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to us all once again. I hope I have not ruined all the goodwill that Barty and Pat Cohen have created with this podcast and joe do you have any last thing to say before we sign off uh count on the aussies count on the aussies two for none is created by patrick cullen and chris barty this episode presented by alexander spinks and joseph cox featured chris goodrick tom k hawkey adam hassan and patrick cullen the episode was produced by patrick cullen at ginger snap productions and edited by mike wilcox at midnight publishing featured clips and music this episode include heart of courage by two steps from hell 2008 all music used in conjunction with APRA AMCOS online mini license. Contact APRA.com.au for more details. You can check us out at gingersnapsydney.com. Make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, share on your socials, and get the word out that Two for None is a bloody great podcast, we swear. We will be back next week or a touch after as we are about to enter into the finals of the World Cup. Go those Aussies! <laughs>